Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the new media show. Of course, my name is Todd Cochran, and I want to welcome my, welcome my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Doing terrific, Todd. The Saturdays keep rolling around, and it's great to be back here talking about some new media podcasting stuff as we do every week. And uh, there, there's always something interesting going on, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. And actually, we'll have a little bit of a comedy hour at the uh, after we get done uh, talking with our guest here on some recent articles. And we may even go cuff to cuff on a couple of issues later on today. So that'll be it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Wow. Gonna, okay. I yeah. don't have my boxing gloves yeah, here, so well, it's going to have to be virtual. It'll be a verbal boxing match. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, Rob, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest this morning? Well, uh, we're lucky to have David Plotz on the on on the show this week. Uh, he's a longtime podcaster and is the editor-in-chief of Slate.com, Slate um, a Magazine, which has been around for a very long time in the journalism political you know they've basically been been you know really involved in podcasting for many many years and I, I think in a lot of ways are pioneering a lot of um, aspects of, of of podcasting today and he also is the host of the political gab fest I believe right David yeah that's it and that's that that's a show that does tremendously well and um, and you know being on this show, we would love to hear about that formula and how you kind of kind of achieve that success in an area that can be a, a fairly um, dry topic, which is politics. Um, you know, so so anyway, David Plotz, thank you. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good. To, it's good to be here. You have to forgive me. Your your watchers and listeners have to. Your listeners have to forgive me, but anyone watching has to forgive me because I'm in my bed. You know, Although I've been out of bed it, for five hours, but I'm actually speaking in my bed. So this, that's, that's actually perfect for this show. Yeah, so. absolutely. And then, <laughs> like being relaxed, and uh, we yeah, actually we can, like you know <laughs> dresser. <laughs> so uh, boy, boy, a little voyeurism for us on the show today. That's right, <laughs> D- David. I was reading, of course, uh, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Rob was uh, nice enough to send over a few links to me and, for me, and I was reading up on uh, you know basically your Wikipedia entry and everything else. And it looks like you've been in Washington D.C. for a, a while, and, and I love that city. I wouldn't want to live there, but uh, uh, why don't you give us a little detail on your background and stuff so the audience sure. gets to know you? Sure, I, I wouldn't want to live there either, <laughs> but I do. The the uh, I'm uh, the editor of Slate. And I've been at Slate for 18 years since before Slate launched. So I've been doing digital journalism since the very, very dawn of it. Um, and as just before that, I was at the city paper here in D.C. And I grew up in Washington and and after college came back to Washington. Uh, but at Slate, I've you know, I've I wrote for a long time. I was an editor. I've run the place for a while and then for uh, written a couple of books, one about a sperm bank, a genius sperm bank, another about the Bible. And then for maybe the past eight, nine years, something like that, I have been one of the hosts of uh, the Slate Political Gab Fest, which is a very popular weekly podcast about politics that I do with John Dickerson and Emily Bazelon. And it is the the kind of marquee show of a Slate network of podcasts. We have now, oh, I don't know, eight eight or so regular podcasts, including the newest one is a daily podcast 
that Mike Pesca, who was NPR sports correspondent, uh, we we took him from NPR and he's hosting a daily news, current affairs, uh, culture podcast called The Gist, which has got, gotten off to an incredible start in the last last six weeks. And and we you know, we we've made so Slate is a is a digital magazine. We have 30 million readers We're we're uh, you know, known for being really smart and funny and contrarian, experimental, uh, and most, but mostly in print. But in the past, you know, five, seven years, podcasting has become a marquee activity for us. It's perhaps the most important thing we do in terms of Slate's reputation, in terms of our brand reputation, in terms of reaching the kind of really smart, really engaged audience that we want to have. Podcasts are the, the tip of the spear and, They've become a good business for us, and even more than a good business, they've become a, a good way to spread the word about how smart and excellent Slate is to the world. So, so anything, um, anything I can do to to raise up podcasting and raise up Slate podcasts in particular, I want to do. So let's let's do that. Uh, sounds good. <laughs> so you know, one thing I'll you know I every once in a while I'll. Probably maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, I'll see a headline on usually social media someplace on a slate article, and I'll go over and I'll, and I'll usually get a pretty good laugh. You know, that's you guys have some pretty good writers over there. You know, is the genesis of slate from the very beginning to be witty? Uh, is was that the was that the goal at the beginning to you know, for for a better word, just you know, body slam people from time to time, but do it with humor. So the founding editor of Slate was a man named Michael Kinsley, who had been the editor of Harper's Magazine. He'd been the editor of the New Republic, and he'd been the host of the first host of CNN's Crossfire, which was the first kind of cable news yelling at people show. And Mike is unbelievably smart and funny and quick, and he always wants to use humor to make his point. And so from the very beginning, Slate's DNA has been about being really smart, but also being being funny while you're smart and and that that has you know we may have changed the kind of uh, the way we do a story we have blogs we have you know podcasts videos whatever but but the through line in slate is always you got to be smart you got to be you know ruthlessly analytical but you got to be funny and and that's uh, that's carried us for 18 years and it, it continues to be the defining brand and I think our podcasts are the same way and it's uh, it kind of reminds me, and, I, and I'm not gonna, you know, I should, maybe this isn't the perfect analogy, but uh, you know, my dad used to say if you can, if you can make someone feel like a dumbass without really telling them they're a dumbass, you've succeeded. You've succeeded. <laughs> and uh, and it's you know it's it's not necessarily the closest analogy, but it's kind of because sometimes I read your articles and I just you know I'm sitting here chuckling. I'm like, yeah, they, that's perfect. You got you nailed it. You know, hit the nail on the head. But uh, so did the podcast then kind of roll off into the same type of because um, I don't think I be honest with you. And I apologize. I haven't listened to any of your guys' shows. That's OK. That's a, that's, uh, you know, what's Will Rogers is a is a stranger's friend friend I haven't met yet. You're right. You're just a wood. You're just a future podcast. Slate podcast listener um, <laughs> is uh, is the so we about 10 years ago. Slate had a partnership with NPR and we were going to produce a, a, ra a regular radio show. We did produce a regular radio show in concert with NPR called Day to Day. It was a midday 
like NP, like All Things Considered or, or Morning right. Edition. It was a midday variety show, for lack of a better word. And in order to do that partnership, we hired Andy Bowers, who was the uh, was a longtime NPR employee. And Andy came to us and, and was the conduit for that show. But but a couple of years in, Andy saw podcasting coming, and he was very early. He was an early user, an early adopter, and and. In 2005, which I guess is maybe a year after the very yeah. first part of podcasting yep. started, Andy was like, we should get into this. And so we launched podcasts and we did it uh, basically out of a closet. We had a closet in our uh, in our D.C. office and me and and Emily Bazelon and John Dickerson, these colleagues, of we would just kind of go to the closet and we would talk because we assumed no one was listening. We talked as though no one was listening. And the the sensibility that developed around our podcast and became the kind of voice of Slate Podcast was very much, this is how people in journalism, and in our case in political journalism, talk when they're at the bar or when they're just hanging out. Because we were because we basically weren't trying to show off for an audience, we behaved the way we normally behave. So we would end up, you know, we'd be doing a show and someone would call one of us on a cell phone and we'd answer the call while doing the show or or, um, you know, someone would have, we'd have to run out and do an errand in the middle of the show. It would just became, it's, you know, it's gotten a little tighter over the years, but from the very beginning, it's been this sense, like, let's have a conversation. We're three friends. Let's have a conversation that is actually the kind of conversation you have with your buddies when you're talking about politics and that we've carried that forward to our, we have a, our second biggest show is a slate culture gap fest, which is a culture conversation among three slate editors, about culture, and then there's a show about sports, which is similar. And now the, there's a show about money and there's a show, um, uh, this daily show that, that Pesca does, which is about everything. And there's a show about language. And all of them really share that, that same sensibility, which is let's not sound like we're – let's not sound like we do this for a living. Right. And I think it – it really works. And, and what we've learned over the years, and this, of course, is no surprise to you guys because you're, you're, you know, you're podcasting titans. But the informational value of what we're giving to our listeners, it's significant. We're, we're good. In the case of our political show, we're good political analysts. John is a really smart political analyst. Emily Bazelon is one of the great legal analysts in America. And we have really good, smart conversations, and they're you know that's I'm not going to say we're stupid or anything. We're perfectly right. smart, but really, what people are there for is to feel they're in a conversation with us, that they they speak of it as though they're at a dinner party and they're the the you know they're the fourth person at the table, and it's very much a uh, it's very much a, a it's an emotional and psychological connection to us that they have less than it is a kind of information gathering. It's like they want to be with us. So I remember Stephen Colbert is a big fan of our politics show. And at one point we do live shows sometimes and we invited Stephen to come to a live show. And he was like, no, no, I, he, he's like, I don't like your live shows because there are all these other people enjoying <laughs> being in company with you. And I just don't. And then I'm listening at home and I feel like I'm really missing out. Uh, and I think that's true. I think people people really feel this intimate personal connection with a great podcast, which is not about the actual informational content of whatever is being podcasted about. Mm -hmm. So you think that um, t 
taking a live show and making it a podcast may be a mistake just because of that? Well, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a, it, it cuts both ways. So in our case, we do regular live shows, uh, maybe, I don't know, every, every two months we'll do a live show in front of a, an audience, uh, you know, 400, 600 people. And there's a huge upside benefit because these people who come to the show, first of all, they're paying us. So we make money off of it. Yep. Second of all, they, uh, they feel of such a profound intimate connection being in the room with us. So for that 600 people, it's a great experience for the, you know, the hundred X or 200 X number of people at home who are listening, who aren't in the room. It's, I think those live show experiences are slightly worse because they, it, there is this feeling that I'm missing out that everyone else is in, in everyone else is with their friends mm-hmm. and I'm not there. And so I know this from my own experience with podcasts. I love like the men in blazers the soccer podcast. I'm sure you, you guys have heard of. It's a great amazing show but then when they do live shows i really hate their live shows because i again i feel like oh there's a special experience that's happening live that i'm missing and and so i think i think that we we try not to do too i think i think it would be a mistake to do our our a live show you know every week or every other week i think it's okay to do it as a as a uh some an appetizer every now and then but to do it all the time would would i think alienate the the vast majority of listeners who aren't in the room who want to feel the personal connection with you. Yeah. Yeah. I would also think that it would create a, a feeling in your listeners that they want to be at your next live event too. Right. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, No, it does. There's, there's some of that too. So certainly we have a huge, uh, uh, we don't have any problem getting people to come to live events. And once people come to one, they will often want to come to another. Mm -hmm. Um, but like there are people, you know, we live in New York, Emily's in New Haven, John and I are in Washington. So our t- we tend to do shows in Washington and New York. Occasionally we'll, you know, we'll flit over to San Francisco or Austin or Chicago, but we're not doing a show. We can't be in every city. We've never done a show in Atlanta. We've never done a show in Los Angeles. We've never done a show in Portland. Uh, so there are a lot of people can't make those shows. And so they, they, they can't even dream, aspire to make the show. Rob, I think David hits a point here, though, because, you know, you know, having done my show, you know, and David, I don't know, I do a tech show twice a week, one of the thousands of tech shows out there. But, you know, when I started my tech show back in, oh, gosh, 2004, um, you know, and actually coming up on 10 year anniversary here soon. But, um, you know, really, my goal from the very beginning of the show is to you know, it was like a conversation, you know, in my head, when I do this show, it's like, I'm here at a, you know, at a table talking with, with several friends. Um, and you know, that was my, my goal. Now, I don't know if, if I had a political discussion going on at a table here at the, at the house, we, we may end up in a fist fight, but, uh, <laughs> that's good. That would be great. Especially you know. video <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it, it is a, you know, you hit upon a point here that I think uh, all of us that do the, do podcasting understand that there is a true intimate uh, um, relationship that we have with our audiences that is so different than, you know, radio isn't able to achieve that. And, and I think, I don't know why it's so different here. And maybe it's because we're not, 
focused, uh, you know, having a commercial break every six minutes. We can actually have a conversation and and, and discuss things. Uh, can I offer a theory? Sure. Which is, I think you're right. So the looseness of the format is is crucial because it, it mimics the way people actually have human conversations. I would also say the the technology is critical here, which is that most people, at least for our shows, most people listen uh, – a huge number of our people listen when they're working out, going for a walk, walking their dog, and in their car, uh, a car all bracket. But when you're working out or you're going for a walk and you've got earbuds in, the voice is right in your ear, right? Yeah. It's yeah. right yeah. there with you. Yeah. And it's it, very creates, personal. You're right. it's, it creates a, a different kind of sensation than even having yeah. it ambiently in mm-hmm. a room. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, it's a very... It definitely is a very personal connection. It's almost like you know you're talking to one person. I think it's it's really really good to somehow in the in your content to to refer to singular instead of plural too, just in a general sense. Always, I mean, I, I mean, and what do you mean? Some of these, well, don't refer to your audience as everyone or all or or you know that type of reference you're speaking to one person everybody that's listening to your show needs to think that they're the only person listening to that that's good and I think, thought that's a really good point and on 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 broadcast radio and big broadcasters they tend to think you know their audience right or i'm broadcasting i'm i'm speaking to a large group of people and they use terminology and descriptions to to give their audience to their audience is really big and that there's there's lots of people listening versus speaking in a in a tone and in a language that's specific to an individual yeah and you know what i also find on my side and i don't want to digress too far here but you know when i when i started doing video i had to remember that the listening audience can't see so i have to always remind yeah. myself you know <laughs> the large majority of the people that are actually are listening versus watching. So, you know, if I bring something up on the screen on my computer and show it to the, you know, the people that are doing the video or watching the video, I have to describe it to the listening audience or just pisses them off. They, you know, they, they email me. Oh, that was a good description of that thing that you, what, yeah. you know, that thingamajig right. that you showed. And right. uh, so uh, it's, you have to balance that. Yeah. And not all to, uh, shows. Was, oh, oh, go ahead, David. I was talking to Peter Sagal, the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me About This. And and he was, and I realized when he started to, when he described this to me that it's actually brilliant. So that's a show that's done live before an audience every single week. And he says they never, ever do anything which is visual. Uh-huh. They never do anything where the audience in the theater gets some advantage over the audience at home. So if, if you notice, like, they like they're doing the uh, there's a feature on there which is it's not not my job where they have a famous person that famous person calls in the famous person isn't in the room with them the famous person always calls in and is just piped over loudspeakers to the audience everyone is listening to everything in that show so even though it's a live show it 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 is a the the listening experience is the same in the room as it is at home yeah oh interesting yeah no, that's a good that. Actually, is great. 
you know, I think that that's the way to do it. I know, but not all podcasts are audio and video right. like, like this show is, is we're trying to live in this hybrid world. And, and I know, you know, a Leo with the Twit network like, likes to live in this world too. Um, the vast majority of his, um, audience comes from audio, which is, uh, uh, really interesting, even though he's an aspiring, um, kind of, kind of video broadcaster, um, but it is, you know, it is a difficult thing to, to walk because video has opportunities to do things that audio doesn't. Um, but yet, on the other hand, um, your audience is all audio. So it's, uh, it's a difficult line to, to actually walk. And, you know, like this show doesn't get a huge live audience, right. but it gets a much larger on-demand video as well as audio audience. Um, because that, Are, that's we live? Are we live now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And it's in in a key, and I, you know, it's, I always say live is the ends to the means. In other words, we're doing live because we can, not because we have to, you know, it's, uh, you know, we could just as, just as easily record this. Um, but I also think that live makes, uh, people better content creators because you can't, once you make a mistake, it's so well, it's done. It's in the can. You're going to have to live with it or you're going to spend massive amount of time editing and I don't edit. Yeah. There's no post-production on this show really (laughs) to speak of. (laughs) <laughs> we make sure the audio levels are good and throw it up there and it is what it is and we fail or fail or succeed uh with the way it goes so you know i i think though you know i just kind of like to get your thoughts though on the a little bit on the podcasting space in general i you know you're of course obviously working with a great team there um where do you see the podcast space now as compared to it was when you guys started in 2005 well I mean, obviously, compared to 2005, it's clearly like a completely different universe. Right. I would say what's what's very disappointing to me is that adoption rates for podcasting are still pretty low. And that the percentage of people, if you compare it to to radio, the the audience is quite small. If you compare it to the huge success that music, the digital music is having, podcasting is doing really quite poorly. And... I'm not smart enough to know whether this is a technology issue, whether this is uh, laziness, what, what it is. But so, so I think that's the, the first piece to me is as great as I think podcasting is, the overall audience, sorry, I'm just picking the cat hair off me. The overall <laughs> audience is, um, is disappointing, not growing fast enough. Now, once you set that aside, you sort of say, like, what's our universe? the people who exist, the people who are podcasting, the people who are listening to podcasts, God, it's a great field. It's amazing. And the, the addiction that, that once you can get someone to be a podcast listener, the way they become addicted to it, the way it becomes uh, how they navigate their world of entertainment is incredible. And I think I saw a stat and I can, it may be like one of these complete um, bourgeois NPR stat that make it's actually not true at all, but that the average podcast, someone who listens to one podcast, the average podcast listener listens to 11 hours of podcasting a week. Now, maybe that's not true, but it sure matches my experience. And the, the people I know who listen to podcasts, they, once someone is in, they are in, they become an addict. It's like, you know, they're on that, they're on that heroin all the time. They're just shooting up all the time. So that's great. Um, what hasn't followed is the advertising hasn't followed in the way that 
I want. I know that Rob, this is something you're working on. It's something that I guess the the mid roll people are working on. It's something that we think about all the time. But the fact that the the array of advertisers is is quite limited is very disappointing. The kinds of advertising are, uh, you know, they're it's it's not nearly considering this is a digital medium. The targeting is not nearly good enough. Uh, considering. Um, Considering how good the ads we're doing are, I mean, I know the CPMs are really high on paper, but considering how great those ads are and just how much time right. podcasters put into doing host reads and, and really putting their heart into it, the CPMs actually seem kind of low compared to how, how much effort is going into the host reads. Um, and, and then I think the, in the space that we're in, which is kind of the thought leader, the thought leader space, the, um, not you know not comedy we're not in comedy we're not in tech which are obviously two huge areas i'm disappointed that that in in politics and in culture and in um and in well not sports but in politics and culture the growth of podcasting hasn't become essential in those areas the way it's become essential in tech the way it's essential in comedy the way it's almost essential in sports like I'm still waiting for for it to become obligatory for anyone who is a political writer or thinker of any note to have a podcast. That hasn't quite happened yet. I will say this, though. Looking at the lineup of political shows, and I think we've got uh, maybe three, 400 of them on, on our site at Blueberry.com. Um, they definitely are a good outlet for both sides of the fence, whereas talk radio is prim primarily dominated by the right, uh, there's definitely a good mix of shows uh, on the podcast side, on the basically both right and left, and some down the middle, and some <laughs> on either edge. But right. um, there's a you know there's a good mix there where you just don't see that in on the particular the AM dials. Right, I, that that's true. I guess what I'm thinking is more like. You know, if you look at the, the, for example, I think one of the top political podcasts is the Rachel Maddow show. Mm -hmm. But all the, what is that? That's just a, I assume, I've never listened to the podcast. I assume it's just an audio cast of a cable TV oh, show. Right. That's exactly yeah, I mean, it's like, all it is. That's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's weak. That's yeah. weak. Why doesn't Rachel Maddow, who's a wonderful talker, why doesn't she have a show? Why doesn't she, you know, do an actual audio podcast? That would be so much well, better. Well, David, her her show is um, is basically storytelling. So, I mean, she basically peels apart, you know, an onion on a kind of a um, you know a story that's in the news, um, but kind of pulls it apart and looks at it from a different perspective. So, it's it's very kind of um, it's not so much a news program as much as it's kind of like a you know, she's peeling, peeling the onion on it, right? So it's very much a storytelling thing. And I think it does work as a podcast more so than most kind of TV shows that, that have been turned into podcasts. I, I've been a fan of the show for, for a long time. So I, I see exactly what she's doing. And it connects with right. an audience. Withdrawn. Um, withdrawn. I've never listened, so I withdraw. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, I think it's, it's good. But to get back to what you were saying earlier a little bit um, about the podcasting space, I – tend to agree that uh, things have progressed very slowly um, in lots of ways in the podcasting space. But also I think we need to keep in mind that this is, this is a new medium and, and it takes a long time. What, 
for a new medium to find its its footing, to find its monetization. Can I ask? Yeah. Can I ask yeah, a question ahead. about that? If you guys, because this yep. is the question that I sit and bang my head around. So if yep. you think about adoption of digital music, or you think about adoption of of internet video, like those yep. those are. And digital music is not a hundred percent, but it, like it's it, the adoption rates for that much greater than, than for podcasting. And co- if, yep. if you compare podcasting to terrestrial radio, again, terrestrial radio, what, like 90% of people still listen to terrestrial radio and podcasting. It's like 25%, 27%, yep. something like that. Why, yep. why doesn't podcasting get, get YouTube like numbers? Well, I, why is it so much harder to get people into it? You know, I'm a, uh... I'm a stats junkie. You know, we do a lot of deep analytics. I think we've got about 20,000 shows right now that we're measuring, uh, including ESPN and a bunch of radio stations and stuff. And, um, you know, I'm in this data every day and I, you know, I'm very happy with the growth in the space, but what I think is really the problem, um, and you, and it boils down to where people are actually listening. Um, and, and, uh, and some of it I think is technology based, you know, right off the top, the Android Android. community, (laughs) right off the top, the Android community, um, and the Android phone users are 12 or 13%, maybe max of the total overall podcast listening audience. The other essentially 87% is, uh, you know, maybe Stitcher gets three or 4%, uh, uh, a few Apple. others, and it, but Apple gets like the rest. You know, they get like the other eighty percent. Um, I think we're missing half of our, at least half of our um, audience. Uh, you know, the growth just because there's not a good experience that is growing Android listeners. I think that's part of it. I think that's part of the technology issue now. The days of downloading are long gone, and, and I hope that stigma is not still there, and people need to know that they can just press play, play. And, yeah. and listen anytime. And that's, you know, I very rarely download a show anymore unless I'm getting on an airplane. But um, that, I think, is a part of the technical issues. But at the same time, I know what happens in my vehicle. Um, uh, we carpool a lot here in Hawaii uh, just because of traffic, gas, and everything else, and uh, and I carpool my family. We, 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 my kids go to a school that's about, uh, 15 miles from here. And it's, it's normally an hour commute for those 15 miles. But when I'm in the car and I look in the rear view mirror, I got a daughter on an earphone, son on an earphone, one kid doing something on a, a slate. Um, my wife's doing something with the iPad and I'm trying to listen to my show between them all talking to one another. It's goes back again to that personal experience. I don't want to listen to podcast while in the car. I want to have that focused listing. I don't want to be distracted. So maybe that's part of it, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, Rob. Yeah. I think that the opportunity is on the, the, the Android side and then getting people um, access to the content in a, in a more simplified way that is more personalized to, to them, I think are, are key to this. And I think that the car is an important place um, that that is being used for podcast consumption today, but it, but the experience and being able to do it could be a lot better and a lot easier. And I think that's that's coming. Um, I I just think that uh, radio is an interesting mix. You know, if you throw radio into this mix, 
how does radio and podcasting mesh together here in the future? And I know that I'm I'm kind of sitting at a company with Podcast One that's trying to live in that world of trying to straddle between radio and podcasting and figure that out uh, because I'm 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 thinking that it's it's a difficult balance because radio is a very different medium than podcasting really i mean at its core it's spoken word audio but it's still different and and you know we talk to national talk radio hosts uh or or regional or local talk radio hosts that want to become podcasters and what we see is is that doesn't translate just because you're a successful local radio show host doesn't translate into being a successful podcaster um, it's not an automatic, you know, thing, right? I mean, just cause you can talk and you can talk about local issues, uh, doesn't make you a successful podcaster. And I think this kind of meshing between broadcast radio and podcasting, um, still has to happen somehow. Uh, I'm just not, you know, it just hasn't fully played out yet. There, there's so much more money in the broadcast radio side compared to podcasting today. And that's because uh, the broadcast side is able to reach local audiences much more successfully than podcasting right. today. Right. Uh, podcasting ask, is a, can, yeah go yeah no, sorry sorry yeah. go ahead Rob that, that was yeah, really ahead, interesting. David. But but can I ask on the Android question that you guys both raised? So sure. If you if you look at um, let's say iPhone owners, do we know what the percentage of iPhone owners who who listen to podcasts is? Yeah. It's, what is it? It's um, if you combine iTunes, iPhone, iPad, um, and depending on, and of course, this may include a few podcast apps. They're not. I well, they're still. What what did we talk about last week, Rob? I had the number right in front of us. It was seventy, eighty percent. Right was the grand total. Yeah, yeah, but that's so talking about downloads. If you're in the iOS yeah. universe, that's not no, no, users. I mean, yeah. If you are in the iOS universe, what are the chances that you are listening to a podcast? Is it eighty percent? Or is it – so what I'm saying is if, if yeah. we suddenly could make Android rates comparable to Apple rates, oh. what would that – what percentage of population would then be listening to podcasts? Oh, it would be huge. It would be – Well, it would probably be double. Yeah. yeah double. At least. At least double. More than double, Rob, because there's only 12% well, of Android users listening now. So if, they're, if they <laughs> – you know, Yeah, that, but or, I don't oh, see that the – that the demographic matches up um, quite as well with podcasting on the Android side as right. Apple um, uh, users. Apple users are typically a lot more educated, at least up to this point, have a lot more money. They're, they're, they're much more into, you know, into education. They're much more into that kind of stuff um, right. is kind of my, my guess. Yeah. I don't know I mean, for when, sure. When we've looked at, we've looked at Android on, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, we, you know, we create an Android. Let's say we create an Android app. Uh, does just shockingly small numbers. If we look at who is, if you're looking at who's hitting the Slate site, this is not podcasting, but this is just the Slate site, which is a good kind of good parallel for the kind of people who listen to podcasts. But who's hitting the Slate site? It's 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 much. So Android is what seventy percent of the market, maybe yep. overall, and. It's you know twenty percent of the percent of people who are hitting the slate site. So, like the kind yep. of elite audience is just so overwhelmingly in the Apple in the Apple universe. So so check now, maybe it's yeah, go ahead. So check this out, and I pulled up my sheet that I wrote for Pottertainment. Um, 
there's, if you look at mobile, just mobile only, iPhone 33.5%, iPod, podcast for iOS 31.5%, Android mobile 87 iPad 7%, Stitcher for iOS 4.03%, Downcast for iOS 3.1%, Beyond Pod for Android 25 uh, Stitcher for Android 1.7, Chrome Mobile 1.4%. So just, you know, from there on, there's like 50 others that are like less than a percent or something. So that just kind of, that's just the mobile, but that's not uh, a breakout of um, purely one piece or the other, but you can see Ta- Apple still yeah. dominates. Well, Todd, so that that tells me that um, Android is equivalent of uh, of the the app the iPad in podcast. Right, consumption. right, right. It's ex- <laughs> it's it's just a tad bit above of what people yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you think about people, you know, I not you don't think a lot of people are consuming on an iPad. Now that was out of a sixty six million uh, sample for the month of May. That was our that was our sample mm-hmm. size. So pretty big, yeah. pretty big chunk. So, but that's still not to say no. that there isn't a huge upside um, for podcasting on the Android side. I think that it is there, and it is yeah. the future growth of this medium because I don't believe Apple is growing at the same rate um, or or has the the upside that Android has. You know, I also think too is you know, in in I, we're jumping around here a little bit, but the or I'm jumping around the terrestrial question. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, when, when the Roku came out, we thought, man, this is the place gotta be. And we were huh, app 23 or 24, something like that with our first app and our first channel in the Roku. And matter of fact, we boom, 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 three in a row. Now there's 500 channels in the Roku. Uh, you know, we were really, really excited thinking this was going to be the future of where video podcasts were going to be. And it's down in the, you know, couple percentage points now for where it's at for total consumer consumption of you know at least what we can measure and uh and here's the hard line same thing in the car when you get in the car and you press the on button what happens it's it's fm or a cd or your bluetooth it's not to a podcast listing on the screen it's in the same thing with the tv you turn tv on hdmi one for the majority of people that aren't cord cutters is plugged into your cable box so people are Creatures of habit, the default function, they're lazy, they don't move around, it's good enough, I'm only going to be in the car 20 minutes, I'll listen to this guy babble on, and, and that's all they listen to. So I think that's part of it as well. But they don't, that's not how they behave around music. That's true. Around music, they're using Pandora and Spotify, yeah. I don't have the numbers, but isn't it true that if you're in your car and you're listening to music, the chances... That, that it's digital music is much higher than the chances that, that it's a podcast. I would agree totally. Well, and also I think music in general is just, just a much more popular medium too. Um, and, and it's not a different experience either. I mean, it's not different content. And I think that, I that's the true. other part yeah. of it too. Yeah. 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 Um, and hey, hey, David, I wanted you to talk a little bit about your new show, The Gist. Um, and what you're accomplishing there, and I think um, Mike's, you know, a very kind of kind of talented uh, radio guy, and just wanted to get your thoughts on on that show and what's making it successful. Like, I mean, I think it's an analogy that I mean, I mean, Mike 
Penske is a very unique talent. But just wanted to get your thoughts on on why why you think that show is so successful, and is there some lessons that can be learned for other podcasters in that? Sure. So it's a new show. It's called The Gist. It's a daily show that's hosted by Mike Pesca, who was NPR's uh, sports reporter for many years, and he's somebody who you, I'm sure, you've if you've heard any NPR show, Mike has sub-hosted it. If you've heard, you know, wait, wait, don't tell tell me someone goes, Peter Sagal goes on vacation, Mike hosts it, uh, uh, you know, tell me more, Mike hosts it. So he's he's a guy that he's been in the NPR stable for many years, but has never had his own show. And he, he's, for a long time, was a, has hosted, been the, one of the guests on our um, our weekly sports podcast. And when NPR did a round of buyouts last year, and Mike thought, you know, they're not giving me a show. Why don't I go do a show on my own? And so we we were like, yeah, let's do it. And so we've launched this daily show. It's now six weeks old, as I think I said. Um, it's The format is a couple of interviews, each running eight minutes or so. One is usually a harder. It's kind of on the news, although it's not like he's not getting, you know, Senator Lindsey Graham talking about his new bill. It's much... Uh, it's, it tends to be people who are slightly uh, askew to the news, maybe is the better term. <laughs> and then the <laughs> sec, sec, second interview is uh, is kind of a more cultural figure, or more more whimsical. Uh, and then he does a he does a monologue at the end called the Spiel, and it's going five days a week. It gets up, in, you know, six o'clock or so. We see it as a companion piece. You've listened to maybe you've maybe you've listened to All Things Considered, and you're looking for the next thing. Um, and the gist is, is the, will keep you company for the last half hour or last 20 minutes you have the, uh, I don't think Slate has never done something in all the time I've been here, which has had such a universally positive response. Mike is a hyper talent, his gift for speech, his gift for spieling, his gift for interviewing are profound. And so it's, we're trying to create a new habit in people. Because I don't think the daily podcast is something most people are accustomed to. It's hard to it's hard to do anything daily. It's hard to shower daily. Um, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, but what we're trying to do is you know is, is say like this is something that will always be there for you on a, on a day, um, and the audience has been great. It's already you know each daily episode isn't our biggest, but overall the show because it's on five days a week is already our biggest show, and and. Uh, and it's fun, and I think the, the 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 question is whether you can habituate people to listen to something not once a week, not twice a week, but really every single day. And and yeah. we're, we'll see. I, I don't. I don't. You guys may know better. Are there successful daily podcasts? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there is. And yes. Matter of fact, one of the earliest. Uh, lasted about five years before he burned out, but he was a one-man show. But I know it did uh, tech news, right? yeah, yeah. And but he was man, that show was a who. What was it called? It was uh, SDR News, and he basically did a review of of a, um, slash, uh, not excuse me, he did um, slash. Yeah, it was dot. called Slash Dot. Yeah, I mean, slash, originally, yeah, he did a oh, review of Slash Dot Dig and Reddit. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't on Slashdot. It was a, but it just it re, it reviewed stuff that was on those sites, kind of headlines, and it was like a fifteen minute show, and it, he did really well. But he had no one there to help him produce or, you know, walk away from the studio when he got done. So, 
But uh, that show was huge. That was one of the first. Rob, you know of some too, right? Well, yeah, I think the Adam Carolla one is the oh, one that yeah. comes to mind. Um, and we're we're trying to work with more and more daily podcasts as well. is is part of part of the Podcast One network. So, as you think about talk radio, you know, talk radio has been doing daily, you know, for eons. So. So I mean, it's it's logical that we kind of try and live in that that world as well. And you know, a lot of the the big nationally syndicated guys are doing like three hours of audio every day, and it's just like that's a lot of content lot. Um, to be putting out on a daily basis in the podcast space. Um, so what we're wrestling with here is: do we stitch all that stuff in, together into one episode versus trying to put those out as two or three hour um, kind of separate episodes each day? You know, some I don't know, like the Dan Patrick show, which is a very successful podcast. He puts out um, three forty-minute uh, episodes every day, and they get downloaded a lot. I mean, obviously, the first hour gets a lot more downloads than the second hour, and the second hour gets a lot more downloads than the third hour, um, or or listens. Actually, is probably a better way of looking at it. Um, so you know, you start thinking about kind of how radio and podcasting come together, and daily. It's got to be shorter, right? It can't be as long as talk radio because talk radio is a tune-in, tune-out situation, as we all know. Right. And a completely different consumption pattern. And I think that's that's the challenge that bringing radio and podcasting together is that people listen to f- mostly full shows on the podcasting side. Radio, they they tend to listen to partial shows. So anyway, and you know, right. in, in all honesty. You know, I know a couple of guys that do a three-hour show twice a week, and you know, it takes me even a commute and a half to listen to their whole show if I want to listen to the whole thing. So, it, I, I don't think long is better. I really don't. Uh, from a from a daily, it's it's hard. It's hard to get that much content unless you've got like twenty people that are, you know, building material every day. Um, or well, that, and if yeah, and if you're going to put out a daily show, it it probably can't be any longer than an hour. I wouldn't oh, think. I would think twenty minutes. Well, hey, we're, the problem we're, with we're twenty five now. Are you? I mean, I think that that's that's the upper limit. Is somewhere between forty five, you know, about forty five minutes is probably the upper limit um, for a daily podcast. Just because if you think about what's the average commute, right? It's about twenty to twenty five minutes. Um here in the u.s so you want to at least be able to if they're consuming in the car you, you want to at least allow them to consume half of it on the way to work and the other half on the way home at, at the bare minimum um but yeah i mean even a a, a one-way commute may be a better strategy because then they can listen to two shows right <laughs> yeah I, I think the daily stuff can be and the advertisers love it too because the repetition rates up and that's one of the challenges that you know that we have with the advertisers is that oh, okay i want to buy uh you know i want i want to buy uh, 12 uh, spots i'm like well that's for over three months you know and they're like Ugh. and then they don't think that way they think about buying on a you know 20 spots in a three-day period so they don't you know they they think different especially the the radio buyers at least mm-hmm. right so one thing i was gonna i forgot what i had a I should have wrote it down. Um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting spot. Uh, do you guys think, though, going back to um, uh, just I want to ask you guys real quick on the um, – I know, Rob, that you asked him about this topic, but 
do you think that the um, as, as smartphones get smarter and get more integrated with the phone, I mean, integrated with the car, that the seamless experience will continue to build where if I'm, you know, if I'm listening to a show here in the house, I go to the car and it, it just automatically continues. <clears throat> Are you guys doing that now already? We, I mean, we, we aren't doing it now, but I assume that that's, I assume that that is a fairly simple problem and will be solved in the, you know, in a year or two considering how fast the technology seems to be moving. Um, but, but I, but it's, that's not something that we, we yeah. tend to follow whatever the technology is. We are not leading it. I would hope that the, um, you know, the car manufacturers, you know, they got it, you know, they, they have got to have in their minds to be able to monetize the dash. And, you know, I, I just, I think at some point the reign of AM FM being choice number one, when you turn on your radio right. in your car is going to go away. And it's largely because that's, it's a, it's a platform now for them to make, make money, uh, right. on ongoing revenue. Right. So it's got to change. Though I don't think that the AM FM dial is going to go away. The question in my mind is, um, how is it going to be represented in the car? Uh, is it going to be like a tune-in where it's live streaming radio um, and people stop tuning into broadcast? I mean, kind of like mm. over-the-air analog broadcasts, uh, or is it going? To, you know, are people going to start spending a lot more time in Spotify and and podcast apps or, or Stitcher or those those type of apps going forward in the future? And but I do agree. David, that I think, uh, and and Todd, that that I think that experience of uh, listening to something on your portable device or your mobile device, and then getting in the car, and the car know, or the device knowing that you're getting in the car, and you know, and continuing that experience on the speakers in, in the car, I believe that the context of mobile is coming, and right. and your device is going to know what you're doing, when you're doing it, uh, it's. It's kind of freaky in a way when you think about it that your device is going to be so smart that it's going to going to adapt to what you're doing. But but I think that's what's coming, and it's not here yet. But I think we're getting closer. You start looking at Google Now, and you start looking at you know the Siri integration in in, in mobile and in this context around sensors and you know what once we all start wearing watches again, right? You know I'm sure you you know we're, we're all going to be wearing watches a year from now, right? Yep. Um, I, I don't, I don't think so, but, uh, but I think that that's going to slowly build and, and eventually these things are going to be, um, built into our bodies somehow. I mean, I'm, I'm really getting out there now, but, um, it's, it's, it's coming where the context of data around us is going to influence how we consume media and where we consume it. And I think it's, it's going to be good. I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm getting tired of holding my cell phone up while I'm driving the car, trying to figure out what podcast I'm going to listen to. Hey, right. Rob, we're almost at the top of the hour. I want to spec David's time. I know he's got a hard out here at the top. Yep. Um, David, uh, just for the audience, uh, if you want, just if you can, just a real quick rundown of the shows that are slate, how sure. to find the, the, the podcast. Um, you know, just give sure. that, that, that elevator pitch. <clears throat> sure. So Slate produces uh, a series of podcasts. You can get them all on iTunes or in, on your favorite podcast app. Uh, the show I host is called the Slate Political Gab Fest. There's another 
very popular show called the Slate Culture Gab Fest, which deals with the news in, in pop culture music TV for the week. There's a show called Hang Up and Listen, which is a great sports show. There's a show called Lexicon Valley, which is all about language. There's a show called Slate Money, which is about money uh, and business. There's a show called Mom and Dad Are Fighting, which is about parenting. There's a show called the Double X Gab Fest, which is about women's issues. And our newest show is the Daily podcast, The Gist with Mike Pesca. And all of those you can find by searching for Slate uh, in, in, in your app of choice. Uh, but in iTunes in particular, it's, if you search for Slate, you'll pull up any of these uh, excellent, excellent shows. And they're, you know, they're, they're fabulous. They're great. They're, they're what podcasts should be, in my, in my opinion. Well, we want to thank you for your time uh, and uh, spending time with us on a Saturday. I hope you had a nice, relaxing show with us. Uh, <laughs> I did. I'm like, I have my cats are here with me, and I'm, the kids are silent. So, it's, how bad could it be? I'll, I'll have, I, I'm in bed. I'm in bed with cats and teddy bears. I, I'll have to admit, I, I'm jealous because uh, I like cats, but my wife uh, absolutely hates them. So. Uh, it was one of those uh, compromises I made when we got married. But uh, whenever I see someone with cats, I'm like, man, I wish I had a cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's safe to say we're all cat guys here. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it's not a very that's, massive that's thing to podcast, be saying. Probably. Yeah. Uh, pod, podcasts. That's, that's what we are. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but they're definitely entertaining when they come across the screen. All right, David, thanks so much. And uh, everyone, make sure you. Uh, you know, check all those shows out over at Slate and uh, definitely follow David on Twitter too at David Plotz, P L O T Z dot. No, I was going to say dot com. That's stupid. At David Plotz. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you guys. Hey, bye thank bye. you so much. All right. Bye bye. Thanks, David. That was good. Yeah. That was, that yeah, was... he's a good guy. I wanted to get him on. I mean, he's uh, been, a, been a big fan of the podcaster space and, you know, he and Andy. Bowers are really, you know, putting a lot of focus on this area and, and want want to see podcasts uh, succeed, you know, and they're they're making some significant investments and making, you know, they're trying to get into trying to figure this thing out, you know, just like all the rest of us. So I think it was great to have him on. He's a very likable guy. He's the kind of guy I'd like to hang out and have a few beers with and just chit chat, you know, so I can see where he has a, a, a you know, definitely him. And I, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm intrigued now. I want to listen to their show, but, uh, um, you know, very personable. And I think that that's, that's a big part of this space too, being personable, right? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you have to be approachable and you need to speak in a way that people feel comfortable and, and be, you know, a little funny too. And, yeah. and that's, that keeps people's attention, right? It's, it's not always serious, but you know, there's, serious things that need to be talked about too. And, you know, and he's trying to live in that, that world right. that's kind of similar to, you know, like the daily show and, you know, trying to sprinkle in humor and, you know, some irony and yep. some, some hypocrisy <laughs> into the uh, journalistic coverage that he does. You Speaking know. of uh, funny and hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, what do you think about this hit? I'm going to call it as it is. It's a hit piece. It's someone's PR scam. Uh, here's the title of the of the article. 
the twentieth. And let me get, let me the twentieth hot the twenty highest earning podcast. <clears throat> and before I go into this, it says, um, it, it says, um, oh, this was so classic. Um, the this anonymous insider helped us fill in the gaps where needed. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I I'll give you. I I have a twenty dollar bill here somewhere. <clears throat> And I bet you 20 bucks I know where this article come from. I'm not going to say on the show, uh, but this is someone's little PR piece. This is what this is. And to say it's otherwise, bullshit. Um, <laughs> and I just laugh at these numbers. So I know you want to weigh in here, but I have to say this. According to this source, <clears throat> Leah Laporte makes thousand dollars per episode of of what though it doesn't say right uh oh, uh, oh he says he's got half this a week in tech this week in tech has half a million downloads per episode and he makes fifty thousand per episode so he does 55 episodes a year right yeah okay so right. fifty thousand times 55 that would be uh i'd, I'd 27 million, no, 2.75 million dollars a year. Do you think that's possible with his show? Well, maybe. Leo has put it out there that his network is generating, what, six million a year? Yeah. So maybe it's so, twin half I of mean, that. That was like, you know, that number he put out there was like, a year ago or a couple of years ago. So who knows what it, what it is today? Well, I have no in idea. In 2013, they say they grossed $8 million. So, $8 million. Yeah, but if we go back and, you know, I, I'm not so questioning Leo's numbers. Uh, Leo has a great show, has a great audience. Well, but, he has a, a fairly high CPM. I know that. Right. Yeah. Um, I and, don't know if this, this is accurate or not. I mean, I, no. I don't know that any, well, PodTrack does all of the tracking for him. Um, and, so that would be the only source that I could think of that would yep. be reliable for that number. Yeah, and Leo, I don't um, ever think Leo's ever, maybe he has this, it, and I haven't heard it, but, you know, there's some other ones on here that I look at the numbers and I'm like, you know, I can't, I, as a matter of fact, I'd be very careful here. I, I, I'm like... Yeah, well, there, <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, some of these are probably a little high, you know, some are probably low. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's a ballpark. It's not. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's going to vary from episode to episode drastically. Uh, it depends on who their sponsors are, what the CPMs are. Yeah. It just. You know. It's hard to generalize these kind of things, and it's actually not good to even. I don't think to put the numbers out because I think it. It. Yeah. It sets expectations. Right. Or, and, kind of clouds the issue. These are not things that necessarily any listener needs to know because I, I don't think it's helpful to have this stuff out in the space. And according to, okay, for example, Shane and friends never heard of this podcast ever. Don't know who they are or nothing. Uh, Shane is a popular uh, a YouTube okay. celebrity that kind of is a crossover. So they claim that they get uh, 4500 for their 22nd pre-roll, 6250 for the second mid-roll and 4500 for the 22nd post-roll. Uh, pre and post rolls are scavenger 
advertising, their value is almost worthless. Um, Two hundred fifty thousand downloads, and if you just do the CPM on that, you know, it would be a three spots averaging about twenty dollars CPM per per spot. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. I don't believe you're going to get twenty dollars CPM for a post roll. Um, <laughs> well, he's, yeah. You might well. get you might get three if you're lucky on a post roll, but I don't know. I just you know, people get done the end of the show, they leave. They don't they don't hang out and listen to ads. Um, they listen to the beginning of an ad on a pre roll because they have to in many instances. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you are seeing more. You know, I think that the the Shane and Friends podcast is an interesting example of what what is starting to happen in the space. Is that um, those YouTube celebrities are starting to cross over into other other right. mediums uh, more and more. I mean, uh, I saw a big uh, a YouTube celebrity um, get a radio show on Sirius and XM here right. just uh, just this like in the last month or so. Um, so you're starting to see those big celebrities that, that are, you know, have like 6 million subscribers on, on YouTube and have eight, you know, huge followings on, on YouTube, starting to sprinkle into radio, starting to go over to podcasting, starting to get into other mediums, um, to kind of expand their, their kind of opportunities for earning revenue. Um, because let's, let's say what's happening, um, the revenue that comes from YouTube is declining for all these guys um, because more and more Google is taking a higher percentage. Yep. That's kind of what they've been doing all along with AdSense and AdWords for, for years and years. So that's the, that's the trend. Um, and so a lot of these big celebrities are starting to move over to other mediums as a way to extend their, their brand and extend their reach and extend their, their income opportunities. Um, and I think, you know, we're trying to do that as well at, uh, podcast one, we, you know, launching with, uh, more and more YouTube celebrities and that kind of stuff. Cause it, I mean, they have loyal followings. The question gets back to is, um, who those people are on YouTube and does it really translate over into these other mediums? Yeah. I would say on, on the Sirius XM side, I think that's a pretty sketchy connection. Um, but I think that there's going to be more of kind of this, these online media stars um, that move over to traditional media more and more as the traditional media feel vulnerable uh, to what's happening online and want to make sure they keep those audiences, right? Or what they think that they're going to get with audiences listening over to traditional side. So, yeah. Anyway. And I, I could it, go, go ahead. And I looked at um, about 10 of these. And I looked who their advertisers were. I'm like, hmm. Uh, they're claiming they're getting sixty dollars CPM on their show. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so anyway, I don't know where this guy got his info, but here's my prediction. This was a hit piece <clears throat> for, and it that's gotten attraction, attention, and I think it sets unrealistic expectations for many podcasters, and in many instances may either one scare advertisers off thinking this is the real deal or number two um, bring into question that the people look like a bunch of clowns and we have to stop this bullshit of bad reporting 
Um, bad, uh, you know, this, in my opinion, does not help the space at all. And, um, and if these numbers are accurate, congratulations. They're getting the highest CPMs of anyone in the space. 60 bucks, that's huge. And well, Todd, they would never put out um, numbers that weren't like at their peak. So maybe these shows did did one generate did one that show? kind of yeah, or a couple of shows that generated that that level. So they're, they're, they're obviously going to put out what the peak revenue would be on a per episode basis, not what the right. lowest right. number is, right? right? And it's not going to be an average. Yeah. They didn't say anywhere here it was an average. No. Um, so so obviously they're going to try and put forth the the best possible download scenario. So maybe they had one episode that downloaded that number. Um, but maybe they, they had nine out of the 10 that downloaded less than that number. And also um, they put in your downloads yeah. versus listens, you know? So, okay. Got 125,000 yeah. downloads. Great. How many listened? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. You know, well, we can't really know that anyway, right? Yeah, to a certain extent we are, we can know that now. And yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I agree with you. We can certainly get close. To yeah. knowing that, well, and uh, that's—I hate to say—but that's—I mean, I, no, I don't no, hate to say it. it's the—it's the reality. Is that um, the broadcast radio side has freaking no idea? <laughs> well, we, you know, it now with because people are large, you know, are, are clicking play, yeah, and more and more, and yeah. Those folks we can tell, you know, the folks are downloading, no, you know, but the folks are clicking play, we can tell exactly how much they listen yeah. to a show, and yeah. Uh, yeah. matter of fact, that's a metric that we're providing now, so it's. Um, yep. it's, that's an easy peasy one for us, uh, to do, but, you know, so, you know, it's, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting yeah. piece. And I just, I, I thought it funny. It's, it yeah. definitely made a lot of podcaster discussions. Uh, well, I think, it, I mean, one good thing about it though, uh, I mean, if I'm can, can find one good thing about it is that it, it does communicate, um, that, there are podcasts that are making money right. and there are podcasts that are gathering fairly large audiences. And I think that that helps somewhat the credibility in the space, whether or not the numbers are right. entirely accurate or not. Yeah. I, I think it does help a little bit with the credibility because that's, that's one of the problems that the space has always had is this perception that it was a, you know, it was a garage, you know, right. hobby kind of medium. Right. And I think we need to change that. Uh, perception you know and i often you know people always ask me you know because you know i've done my show for a number of years they're like well how much do you make and i said i make enough money to live in hawaii and support yeah. my family and uh, my show is my income and you know that's my yeah. tech show and then they can do the math themselves and knows what it costs to live here and everything else and, mm -hmm. and i'm not by far rich but i'm at the same time i you know we're doing okay. Um, I mean, it can be done. I mean, I think that's the bigger done. message. Right. It can be done. Yeah. And, and But it takes, I mean, you've been doing it for a very long time. Right. And you're not going to, uh, you, you know, unless you're a one-hit wonder, like, you know, there's a few of those that have been out there. But, you know, unless you come right out of the gate hard, it, you know, yeah, it takes time. You know, well, I, there's no guarantees out there. I mean, I'm seeing a podcast one just because you're a big celebrity yeah. doesn't mean you're going to be a big hit as a podcaster. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not. I mean, lots of I think people think that you know it's easy for some people to be successful in this medium just because of their their celebrity status or their prominence, you yeah. know, in other areas. That, that 
I don't believe that that's true. I don't. I, I think you still have to be a good, um, you know, communicator. You have to be a great person at connecting with people. Just like you were talking about with David just a few minutes ago. He's a personable guy. Yeah. He he connects with people. He actually can speak to to speak in a way that connects with uh, people, and people want to listen. So. Yeah. I think that's that's the power. I mean, a lot of times big celebrities don't know really how to speak to people. They they go through life communicating with their audiences from a script. <laughs> yeah. Well, one yeah. thing that um, is interesting, and this is another thing that came up this week and something that I was partially uh, an instigator of, was I advise podcasters don't, uh, you know, don't go sign exclusive contracts. Mm. Um, you know, some pod, I was, I've been asked, uh, three separate times in the past couple of weeks by podcasters, should I sign this exclusive deal? And yep. my thought press, and I know Rob, you may disagree with me here on this, but my thought process on signing exclusive deals is that number one, there should be guaranteed revenue that's associated with an exclusive sponsorship. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. it should have, uh, opt out clauses. It should have a, um, you know, a termination um, clause as well. And as mm -hmm. long as you have those in place, those then go ahead and sign the exclusive deal. But if, if you, if no one's going to guarantee you revenue and you're going to be exclusive to someone, um, then be careful. Now on retrospect, I've reached out to, um, in this particular case, I've reached out to a number of folks that, um, have a, have relationships with different companies. I've said, are you exclusive now? And all of them said, oh, no, 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 we, we're not signing exclusive deals. So for the most part, I think there's a handful of shows that are signing exclusive deals. And uh, even like the one guy said, he said, well, I'll give this 90 days and see how it goes. So, you know, maybe I overreacted a little bit, but at the same time, um, there's a lot of history here and... Well, I don't want to see history repeat itself on people getting locked into something that they are later on, it pisses them off, makes them quit. Well, Todd, I think that there's a spectrum here. And well, I think true. it's, 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 uh, from my, from my perspective, I think it's, um, each content provider needs to decide what they want, right. um, want to do. And I think that the, the option, the spectrum of options is, yeah, uh, exclusive distribution contracts, and going it alone, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think... Um, well, there's, there's hybrids, too, because people are doing hybrids, yeah, too. That's right. That's right. And But I think as you look at both ends of the spectrum, I think that there <clears throat> there's advantages and disadvantages uh, depending on the, the podcaster <clears throat> and, and what they bring to the table uh, and what they're capable of doing, what their strengths are. And I think that's, at the core, that's... That's what this debate is about, right? Is is it if you look at like uh, big big celebrities or big talk radio hosts, or you look at big um, bigger bigger celebrities and things like that, they tend to think about these exclusive contracts more. Um, if you look at more uh, more guys like you and I, we're we're going to look at you know going going it alone, maybe doing a hybrid, right? Um, so I think that there's a place for all these and it depends on, you know, I mean, a lot of talent that we deal with at podcast one, they don't have the technical chops to do it themselves or to be independent or the time or anything. And they want somebody to just handle it all for them. So, 
and do all of the production, the publishing, the the getting the 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 sponsors and all that stuff, and then they're off doing something else. They're doing a TV show or they're doing other types of things. So you we're really a service business in some ways, um, and and in order to pay for that, you have to have revenue right um, that comes in from a from a revenue share and it it's a you know like a 50 50 proposition right we're not going to make any money if we don't make you money is what it kind of sets up so there are some advantages <laughs> to to doing a deal like that but um, that, but that probably I, only applies yeah. to one or two three percent of yeah all the no i don't disagree with there. that i think that yeah. that's that's exactly true but to say that that, that never do an exclusive deal, I think, is kind of missing that two or three percent for the right? average the average yeah. podcaster that's out there. Um, that's right. You know, and here's the thing: what's going on? And and it's, to me, it, it makes me kind of laugh a little bit. And Rob, this is a challenge you face that I don't face: is that um, I'm an equal opportunity advertising provider. I provide to everyone. I don't. Yep. Uh, we don't care the show size, big or small. We work with everyone. Where yep. you have to focus, and you and Midroll have to focus on the big shows, and there's only so many big shows. Um, so, the uh, where I feel my scale is pretty wide, and you have to focus on a narrow, taller. I'm I'm yep. I'm wider and a little shorter. You're narrower yep. and and taller. In the end, if we probably compared apples to oranges, it would probably be about the same. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I would totally agree with that. I think, um, but, you know, different companies choose yeah. where they put their that's, focus, right? right? I mean, we're focused on the the kind of um, yeah. bigger shows. Yep. You're focused on kind of more the well, the I, larger number of shows that aggregates into a big number. of. And, of, we, and we still work with the yeah. bigger shows. It's not that we don't. Yeah, so, no, that's right. But, uh, but I would say that the vast majority of the shows that you work with are, more, you know, not at the the big show range, but kind of middle to long tail range. Probably a right? hundred thousand listeners or below. That's probably okay. where, yeah. Okay. Per yeah. Ep- yeah, per episode is where we're probably at. For yeah. The majority yeah. So of if shows. you look at it from a, you know, you know, like a chart, like we did last week yeah. with the apps, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like the it's like, big <laughs> shows is like, you know, it's the like, squidging like, of yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> Ten ten percent of all podcasts are in the the or, or less are in the hundred thousand or right. and up range. Yeah, um, and then ninety percent of are in the the less than hundred thousand down range. And we tend to focus on that five to ten percent of all podcasts uh, as our core. That's not to say that we will always be focused on that. Right. It's just we're just. That's that's where our orientation has been, at least at Podcast One, coming from you know yeah. our CEO who from built radio Westwood side. One, yeah. right on the radio side, and always and this kind of hit um, kind of approach, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he, and it makes sense. You know, it's obviously because yeah. you know that's the model he's used to working with, and you know, it's it's you know it's it, <laughs> um, let's just put it this way: you have a and they don't. Guys, don't take this the wrong way. They're listening or watching. You have less sheep to herd. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But it also is, re- it's been really fascinating to me to see that Hollywood culture come into podcasting because it's like there is very low tolerance for a show that doesn't perform at the first episode. 
you know, and it's just like TV, right? Right, when right, you think right. about it, right? Yeah, I mean, how many TV shows get canceled after the first three episodes? Oh, a lot. There's a lot, right? Yeah, and if and it's, if, if and if it's every, the same thing here. If every you know? podcast got canceled after three episodes, there'd be no podcast left. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> you know, you know, I, you know, there's this burning desire to find success as fast as possible. Yeah, right? and it's like, you know. I have to communicate and I have to just make sure everybody's like thinking some shows are going to skyrocket very quickly. Other shows are going to take some time. It's going to simmer right? then boil. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. like there was yeah. a guy on Google Plus. He's been at it three months. He says, oh, I'm, you know, I get to, I'm, I'm at 1,500 listeners and I, I want to quit. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> stop. Stop, stop, stop. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You need to, you know, number one, no one knows you. We've ne no one has ever yep. heard of you. Number two, fifteen hundred is fantastic for three months. Yep. For I said, you know, it, it it takes time. You know, I tell people it's just like you know we're getting ready to add uh, Rob at least three more shows to uh, Geek News Central. That's the minimum number right now that we're going to be adding. It looks like they're going to come on board, and they're all a little different than what I do here and and with my other shows and the Gadget Professor and what Langley does, and. Uh, you know, I told these guys two years. It's a two-year commitment. I'm making. You know, we we sign a, a an agreement, and it's basically a, um, you know, it's who owns the show and who's responsible for what, and you know what the advertising splits. Because I'm actually kind of doing an exclusive deal, but also I'm investing my time and money and uh, to you know, kind of like you do with you know. Yep. And I know it's going to be a two-year process to get these yep. shows. You know, and some of them are one of them's pre-existing. So um, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm and I understand that part of it. Uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, generally, I tell podcasters, you know, don't sign no exclusive advertising. And matter of fact, with the guys that are coming on board, I'm mm -hmm. telling them, I encourage you go out and find advertising. You find an advertiser for your show, we'll get it in. That's you know, we want you to work that angle too. Well, it also if you sign if you're a content provider and you sign an exclusive with a a network, you know you're going to expect that that network performs and brings you brings you advertisers and brings you right. revenue and, right. and right. it it puts a lot of pressure on the the, the relationship too. Right. I mean, everybody has to perform. the The show host has to get the downloads and, and the listen and the audience, yeah. and the the network has to perform on delivering. Um, dollars to you know based on that audience and and it it's an it's an exchange of responsibility that is um that is more like what the relationship was for many big talk radio hosts too and it's that's the analogy that we're trying to live in and it's it's a it's a high pressure world you know yeah. i mean we have a, if we have a problem you know with an episode that goes out um the it's immediate thought you. is we're losing downloads right yep. we're losing revenue yeah. There's a direct relationship to yeah. success of a podcast and revenue, yeah. and you have to think of it that way. And that's why shows get um, can get killed quickly because we're looking for a show that's gonna gonna do that, right. gonna perform. And I think too the you know we we all understand the mediums a little different, and yep. uh, patience is a virtue in this space, and. <laughs> Yeah. Um, boy, I tell you, we've developed a lot of over the years. I, you know, I think, uh, you know, having talked to David, <laughs> he's feeling some of the same. You know, it's it's interesting because person after person after person that we talk to, there's this underlying. Well, 
I'll say it the way it is. It's the what the fuck. <laughs> that's the, well, and it's, that's yeah, the, and it's also the, frustration. Yeah, yeah, it's like what yeah. what is going on? You know why? We all get it. You know, so we're all we've all drank the Kool Aid. <laughs> yeah, and excuse but my language, but that's really what it boils down to. We're like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been wondering about this 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 concept of you know where's where's the audience uh, you know in the future going to come from? Yeah, you know, I think David. David uh, raised that issue, you know, again today is like, yep. I've been thinking about this for a long time is that, well, where's, where's the big growth spike going to come from or, or, or is it just going to gradually yeah. build over 25 years? You know, you know, that's, and it's, you know, I'm not saying that I'm going to provide that solution, you know, but I'm definitely, you know, this is one of the things that, uh, you know, it's percolating and in, in, in starting next week, we're going to start. Uh, Blueberry.com's numbers are going to start increasing dramatically. We're going to start uh, um, changing the model up a little bit. We're going to make an announcement to the to the entire community on on Monday on what's happening. Um, we feel that there's just not enough secondary exposure to shows um, out there, and we just want to hopefully. Um, if we're, we mean, we hope some other folks come in and help with this, uh, but we want to. We want to grow the space um, beyond iTunes and iOS, and uh, it, it's it's got to happen. And um, um, you know, if we could get as many Android listeners as we can, iPhone listeners, just you know, we're now we'll we'll push past a hundred million uh, active unique listeners per month. That would be very easy to hit that number. And if you get to that point, um, then you are. Well, you're you're forced to be reckoned with, because yeah. In in all honesty, it's um, uh, the media doesn't pay attention. It's it's a volume. It's at this point, it's a volume game for all of us to get more people to to listen. Yeah, and but it's also in, gonna gonna proportionally increase everyone's costs too. So right. there is a right. And that's there's a price to pay for that too. Yeah, yeah. And, and luckily audio is pretty cheap, so it's yeah. You know, um, yep. But uh, we just have to keep evangelizing it, and we'll keep our fingers crossed and hope things go well. Um, I, I actually we're gonna I have to talk about it next week. We're not ready to announce yet, but we're we're ready to announce something really cool to our hosting customers. It's a unique feature that no one else has, and I'm pretty, oh, I'm pretty awesome pretty excited about it and yeah uh, and it, i have to give it all credit to angelo he's the one that came up with the idea i'm telling i shouldn't even say anything because everyone's like what the hell is he talking about what they're gonna announce so next yeah week, not next week but because i'm gonna be off next week <laughs> so are we still on track at some point here to to have a kind of kind of a yes kind of a remake of the I'm, of, of the show here the yeah. pr- the the hope is when I come back on June thirteenth that we will be a short few days away uh, from being able to launch the new site now <laughs> yeah I know yeah. <laughs> yeah because I told Angela I said I got three shows I want to launch them in July that means I need the new site ready to go uh, where are we at and yeah. uh, so um, he was able to put out a bunch of fires uh, last week after we finished up our programming for one of our clients and yeah. uh, I tell you you know it's it's amazing people come to us and say well we want this or like oh that was a really good idea 
<laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's there's some pretty cool, pretty cool stuff coming down the pike. But um, anyway, um, you got anything else, Rob? Well, has there been any feedback that's come in on the the show from the last few weeks? Or no, it's been you... pretty, been pretty quiet. So you okay. guys, you guys need to pummel us a little bit, and you know, an email Rob and I here. It's Todd at newmediashow.com or Rob at newmediashow.com. Reach out on Twitter. There was some stuff on. We did have, I think we had something on. Saw something on Twitter the other uh, last week or a week before. Yep. But uh, you know, you podcasters out there need to give us some feedback as well. And Rob goes to great lengths to get great guests like David and. Uh, we want to hear your uh, hear your feedback, um, and actually, I need yeah. to go look at the stats. I haven't even looked in a month, so it's uh, it it can be a little tough to get guests this time of the year. More people are taking vacations and yeah. stuff, but th- there's a couple people that I've reached out to that will be re- really really interesting to have on here, and they'll be in here in the future. You know, podcasters and folks that are actually not, or maybe you know, have played in the right. space a little bit that are that are doing stuff in social media. I kind of want to mix it up a little bit here going forward, not not be necessarily so heavy in podcasting, um, kind of get back into some more more kind of regular new media topics yep. uh, versus um, always podcast topics. So um, so more to come. All Outst- good. Outstanding. Well, we are at the bottom of the hour, and uh, I want to thank everyone for for tuning in. I guess that's maybe not the right word to say, for streaming in. Or downloading in, however it may be. And uh, thanks so much for being here. Rob, uh, two weeks off. I'm uh, out on the 3rd of July heading actually kind of your way almost. I'm I'm coming to L.A. for uh, the National AYSO Soccer Tournament. And then we're going to Disneyland. And then I'm going up to San Francisco. Uh, (laughs) My wife wants to go up and see some tourist attractions up there, tourist traps. We're going to do that. And then back to, Hon- yeah, back to Honolulu uh, the 13th of July. So uh, I'm going to have the whole gang with me. So American Express and Visa, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so no shows on the 5th? No shows on the 5th and the 12th. the 12th. Oh. That's right. Yeah. My wife went Android last night. <gasps> Uh-oh. And I have to say it very quietly. We have three Samsung Galaxy S5s. Uh, my daughter's getting one and my son's getting one. And I'm, wow. I'm, the lone, I'm the lone iPod user here in the house. And I'll be honest with you, after playing with that Galaxy S5 last night for about an hour. Well, Todd, oh. now you know why Apple has to come out with a bigger screen phone here thing in the is, fall. That thing is down. I, and I played with them before, but never an extended amount of time. That thing is flat out, sexy, clean, bright. Yeah, they have to. I'll yep. get. I'll give them until the iPhone six release to make a decision. But it, no, I think that they're going to have a four point seven and a five point five, which will, which will put it in the the range of the world that I've been living in for. Yeah. For, for a while now, this is a six inch, but um, this is this is a game changer. I mean, oh, it's. I mean, just- I mean, it's like holding a laptop in your pocket. Yeah, that's I mean. what she said last night. She says, I don't need to have my tablet out as much. And so <laughs> what do I do? And the first thing I got here last night was I canceled her tablet hosting plan, and she's going to tether it. Um, yep. Verizon has this new thing called E... I don't know. You basically... 
you 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 pay for the phones and it gives you a cheaper rate. Three phones, ten gigs per month, one hundred forty five dollars is my bill. So not bad at all for a new yep. plan. But anyway, um, enough on phones. Uh, yeah. Thanks everyone. Right. Yeah. Thanks everybody. I'll see you next time. Aloha. <laughs>